Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast here at Compass Bible Church. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to make disciples by reaching, teaching, and training. Well, welcome, Compass. So grateful to have you joining me on this week's episode. We are continuing our sermon series entitled Jesus is Greater. And this sermon is subtitled Than All Your Excuses. We trust and we know that Jesus is greater than all of our excuses. And some of those excuses we see explicitly displayed there in Matthew 8, 18 through 22. As people, uh, Jesus was getting to the heart of the problem uh, of those who claim they want to follow Jesus, but they don't recognize uh, the implications of what that really means. And he's teaching us what it means to follow him, regardless of any excuses or reasons or rationale why we would delay and put off following Jesus. And so we'll read Matthew 8, starting in verses 18, and we'll go through 22. So let's read. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. The preaching point from this text is this, that a genuine relationship with Jesus includes a readiness to forsake worldly comforts and even close family relationships to follow him. And this preaching point was expressed in three points. Number one, that we need to make sure that we're taking our orders from Jesus. There's a lot of things in life that are going to vie for our attention and who are going to step up as authorities in our life. And then we got to make sure that the ultimate authority in our life, that to which everything else is subservient to, is the orders of Jesus Christ. That he is the one who enlisted us, he is the one to whom we serve, and he's the one that calls us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. And it is from him and through him that we find our being, and we have our being, as it says in Colossians. And for us, it's the commitment to take all of our orders from Christ. He is the one who is authoritative because of who he is and what he's done. He is the one, even as we look at Peter and we think about Peter's words, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's that attitude we ought to have when it comes to everything that Jesus says and calls us to do. Number two, we need to come to grips with his expectations for you. I think that it is implicit in most people when you read the Bible and you think about God to recognize that he does have expectations for us. I don't know uh, many arguments, uh, at least reasonable ones, where people would suggest that God does not have expectations for us. Although implicitly, I think many people live as though God doesn't have expectations for their lives. Or if he does, they are big picture expectations uh, and not necessarily the daily obedience that God expects for his children. And uh, we're going to argue that it's both. God does have expectations with a big picture, but he also has expectations for the daily life of his children. And we need to come to grips with his expectations. I mean, we, we use a number of scriptural references that help us see that it is very much in... Uh, 
Christ's view of discipleship to expect his disciples to follow him, to uh, turn from themselves, to obey his words. Uh, and it's well within his, uh, his role and his, uh, his identity to call us to that. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And uh, it is his kingdom to which he's invited us into. And therefore, as we follow him, we're following him into the kingdom, but we're doing it on his terms. And for us, we've got to come to grips with the fact that God has expectations for his children. And that's a good thing. Uh, It is a good thing that we have a God who gives orders and a God who has expectations so that we can have a real, tangible experience in this life of hearing from God from his word and then following it in obedience, knowing that we are walking the narrow way, that we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we don't have to spend much of our life wondering if we're doing what God wants when he is giving himself to us through his word. He has revealed himself to us to live for him. And so it's wonderful once we come to grips with his expectations for us that we can start living in light of those things, which is ultimately such a good and wonderful part of the Christian faith. Point number three is that we need to make sure that we don't validate our excuses. I even quoted a a book uh, where it says that uh, this one author who coined this this term or, or this definition that an excuse is more dangerous than a lie because an excuse is a lie that's guarded. And uh, that's, that's a powerful quote because we often use excuses as that ultimate wall that cannot be breached by other people's rationale or accountability. And in our culture, that excuses have been given this power and authority in which are unquestionable. Who are you to question the reason why I'm I'm doing this? As long as I give you a good reason, that reason should be enough. And uh, even as we, we talked about in the sermon, absolutely not, right? We need to be honest about our motives. Sometimes our excuses hide the motives behind our hearts. Often we decide not to do things because our motives are selfish and self-seeking and uh, full of self-ambition and... Uh, we got to ensure that that our honest motives are are being uh, transparent and manifest, right? And uh, what that's going to do is, if we're being honest with our motives, it's going to help us recognize if we are in the will of God or if we're disobeying the will of God. Uh, you know, if I just don't feel like going to my small group, my life group, well, that's quite a bit different than saying I'm running a hundred degree fever or I. You know, I just broke my leg and I'm on my way to the hospital. So it seems it seems uh, important that I go get this taken care of. So because of that, I can't go to life group. And I'm being honest. My motive is my leg's broke. I've got to go fix it. Uh, versus I just don't feel like going, but I'm going to tell people that I had a really hard day and I got to make a phone call so I can't be there tonight. When we're saying, well, my motive is I really don't want to be there. I'm trying to use some other reasons why I can validate not being at life group. Just think that's really important for us to don't veil our selfishness. Don't, don't veil our uh, in, unwillingness to follow basic commands of Christ by uh, using excuses. And so we don't want to validate our excuses. We see this with the disciple who wanted to first go and bury his father. I mean, really what he was doing is saying, you know what, Lord, uh, I love what you're doing, and I want to follow you, but I have some other things I need to do first. And what Jesus is saying, no, 
The problem here is that you said, Lord, let me first go. The only thing that we ought to say with that sentence is, Lord, let me first go and follow you. And I think when we can do that, we, we've landed right square in the middle of what it means to follow Christ. Taking care of your family, doing uh, well with the priorities and stewardships that God has given you is, is an important part of the Christian faith. But it's an important part of the Christian faith. It's an important part of what it means to follow Christ. Their value is inherently found in their relationship to Christ. And so when I think about my wife, I love her like Christ loved the church. So therefore, I have to then know what it means for Christ to love the church and be following his uh, discipleship in my life to know what it means to properly love my wife. If I want to uh, raise my child in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, then I have to know what it means to walk in the instruction and discipline of the Lord and myself. So even all these things that I'm called to do with those around me, I only first know how to accomplish those things by following Christ. And uh, and ultimately, I, I need to make sure that I'm not utilizing excuses to keep me from being faithful in my own life. Uh, because when I do that, I'm going to find that I'm going to be unfaithful in a lot of other areas of my life. And, and, and some of those are responsibilities that I must uh, take seriously and steward well. And the best way that I'm going to do that is by not making excuses for why I'm not going to do something that I know, uh, for the most part, that God wants me to do. You guys have uh, a number of application questions, uh, five main questions, a couple of sub-questions that I think are going to be very applicational for you guys. I think they'll be helpful for you guys because uh, not super wordy, they're super to the point, and what I want you to do is draw out the application in your personal life. What I would love to see in your group is less commentators and, as we say, more applicators. And, and what that can mean is, even as I explain it to people in my life group, right? there is the overarching biblical principle. Like when we say things like, uh, you need to love, uh, like husbands, for instance, love your wives like you love yourself, okay? So the principle is, I need to love my wife, okay? And so then I need to apply that principle. How do I love my wife? Well, okay, then I need to go home and I need to serve my wife, okay? Well, well good, okay. So I need to, in order to, to love my wife, that means one application is I serve her. Now, the problem is if we leave it there, we still landed in a, an area of great ambiguity. I actually need to dig an extra layer into that application by saying, well, how do I serve my wife? Okay, well, I want to love my wife by serving her and I will serve her by coming home and taking care of my son for a while explicitly so my wife can step away and maybe accomplish some other little tasks she needed to do. Or maybe it means that I can serve her by uh, helping her accomplish some tasks she's doing that evening. Or maybe to serve her would be after everything's done in the evening, uh, go up to her, talk to her, ask her questions, draw out of that deep well of my wife's soul uh, things that, that, that could help her think through her life and her day and give her great joy and contentment. Uh, but do you see how I, I didn't leave it up there at the very top where that principle is, okay, we need to love our wives. Okay, great. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, I need to serve her. Well, that's great, but the problem is that doesn't tell me what I'm doing. What I need to do is actually get to the, the second layer or the third layer, if you will, in those terms. You got the principle, you got the application of that principle in general terms, and then you need the uh, then you need the particulars. You need to tell me how are you going to do that. 
If you're in your application questions and you're doing that, here's the principle, here's the application of that principle, and here's the particulars of that application, you're going to do a really, really good job, not only in your application questions, but ultimately in your own life as you're applying God's word. We had one question come in in our Q&A section. As always, I want to remind you, if you have questions or thoughts or things, even maybe that you're like, hey, I think this is a good question. I'd love to hear the answer to this. Uh, Go ahead and scan that QR code at the bottom of your worksheet. And uh, as long as they come in in time, I'm going to do my best to answer them uh, here on this podcast. And here's the question we received from this week's sermon. Can you address the social differences in biblical times versus 21st century America when it comes to the individualism that we live in and how we need to change our mindset in order to be ready to follow Jesus rather than having independent thoughts and wills. Uh, yeah, I get the heart of your question. And it is, it, is, uh, it is true that when you look at the first century, there was uh, much more of a corporate identity. Uh, they, were, they didn't think about themselves often as uh, first and foremost individualistically. They thought of each other uh, first and foremost as, as a corporate group, as an entity of uh, we and us and, and, or y'all and not me, myself, and I. And of course, in the American dream, in the culture that we live in the 21st century, it is the iPhone, right? It's the the iPad. I mean, Apple has really cornered this market on this idea of I, and, and it is about me. Uh, when I was growing up, there was the one of the big first social media platforms was MySpace, right? I mean, it's mine. It's, it's about me. Uh, and it's important for us to understand that uh, there are things in our culture sometimes that kind of lend to help us think rightly about our relationship with God. Now, it's harder when you're getting into our 21st century American culture because so many things are so contrary and anti-God. Uh, and there are times, given that fact, that uh, our culture actually keeps us from seeing the picture of what God is is hoping uh, and expecting us to understand. I mean, one of the good examples of that is when you read the Bible— when you read uh, the New Testament, let's just go to the New Testament because it would be easier for you to directly apply. When you're reading the epistles in the New Testament, are you reading I, 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 me, me, me? Or are you reading us, us, and we, we, and, and y'all? Right? Are we, are we reading the text in the second person plural? It's, it's all of us. Right? You guys, you all. Uh, well, Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to more than one person. Right? Uh, I mean, it's even like John three sixteen. for God so loved me. And there's, yes, there is a sense in which God loves you. And we can talk about that. And we we're going to have to, right? There is a personal aspect of your faith, but that is just not something we struggle with in this culture, right? And that's why, that's why even this question I think is being brought up. We're not arguing that there isn't a personal aspect to uh, faith. A- absolutely. Nobody gets to heaven on the coattails of uh, their parents or grandparents or anyone else. Uh, it's, it's a personal Faith is a surrender of my person unto the person and work of Christ for my salvation. Uh, but we understand that the body of Christ, even as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, it says that we have one body. We have one head who is Christ. And although we are many members, we are all many members of one body. And so I think 1 Corinthians 12 and even Ephesians 4, 4 through 7, do this good idea of saying that there is both a a individual aspect of us, but it can never be divorced once we're in that body to the corporate aspect of who we are. That's why I, and you, you even wrote in this question here, 
of this idea that, that we don't all just get to do whatever we want or and however we want it. We've committed to being part of a body, and, and there's a sense, and even Paul talks about this in, in the book of Romans. Uh, you know, if somebody, and you see this in the book of Romans, if somebody is uh, struggling because somebody is eating meat sold at the meat market that had been sacrificed to idols— and Paul's saying that's not bad in and of itself, that that meat, who knows what meat has been or hasn't been sacrificed by idols. And if it has, uh, and they're selling it in the meat market, maybe that caused one of your brothers to stumble. And if it does cause them to stumble, then we, then everyone needs to stop eating meat. Everyone needs to stop eating any of this meat at this meat market. Why? Because ultimately it is about the corporate, uh, it is about the corporate body. It was about the, the individuals, not about me, not, hey, well, if that makes you struggle, that has nothing to do with me. No, it actually has to do with all of us. As, as a body. And so there is a real uh, need for us in our culture that is very uh, autonomous, very individualistic for us to recognize there is a big uh, push in Scripture uh, to say that we're, we're all part of this, this, this one body. I mean, Ephesians 4, 4 through 7 says it uh, very well that, you know, we have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, and, and all of that shows us uh, and we've been called to it. It all shows us what it looks like for us to focus on the unity that we have. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But I love verse 7 because it does talk about the personal element. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means we've all had gifts. God's given us gifts individually. But even all of the gifts that we have, even as we look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, are all exercised how? Corporately. All the spiritual gifts that God bestows on his children are meant to be exercised corporately. So I think that's a helpful way to begin thinking about that relationship. And you're right, our culture does not lend well to understanding the uh, the mutualistic participation that we ought to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do have to fight against that. All right, church, we are now moving on to our announcement segment. Uh, we have... Uh, Life groups open, so if, if you're somebody who's listening to this and you're not in a life group, we want to encourage you to join a life group today. You need a group to do life together with. You need a group of people to sharpen your faith, to give you encouragement, to help you be accountable, uh, and to just be that, that smaller group of people in our church family that can help you walk out your faith day to day. We also have our discipleship now starting this week from the 15th to the 18th for our students from 6th grade to 12th grade. There's still time to register if you're listening to this and your student has not registered yet. There is still time. You can learn more about that at compasshillcountry.org slash students if you need to register your child for that. Or you can email Pastor Evan at evan at compasshillcountry.org. Next up is our National Equip Conference, which is on June 14th through the 16th, and it's entitled, What is the Gospel? We are going to spend a few days there learning about what the gospel is, how to share the gospel with all different kinds of people, whether it's Muslims or whether it's Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholics, and understand the attack on the biblical gospel in our own day. And we're going to be encouraged about how the biblical gospel is actually healthy and helpful when it comes to our families and uh, the church. You can learn more about that at equippedconference.com. I encourage you guys, go ahead and register for this conference. Let's get that place filled up and invite other people. This is for everybody in our community, everybody in our region. We want as many people as possible to attend this Equip Conference with us at the Civic Center on June 14th. Finally, we announced the updated Next Steps Project, 
showed you guys just how much God has uh, has uh, given us this blessing of all the space and the stewardship of this facility and the generosity that so many of you have already uh, already showed to our Next Steps project where we have raised $164,000. And that has allowed us to take a much bigger next step than we initially thought possible. And because of that, instead of doing work that'll get us a year or two down the road, we're doing work that gets us three, four, five, six, seven years down the road, which is exactly where we need to be as we're growing. We need more space to uh, to utilize uh, for all of the, the growth that we're seeing, for all the discipleship that needs to be done at our church. And so because of that, our goal has now been raised to $250,000, which means we're only $86,000 away from our new goal. Uh, but we aren't going to... St- we aren't going to wait to start doing the work. We're going to submit plans real soon to the city and we're going to get work going because we have plenty of money to get this project way down the road. And so as we're doing that, be considering how you would pray and give so that we can create permanent classrooms uh, for our, our kids, that we can utilize the pavilion for a multi-purpose space for all of our big ministry events, that we can make the upstairs a dedicated place for Bible classes and student ministry on Wednesdays, and that we can have even a, a, a better nursery that can be space for our nursing mothers, and we have this big patio outside, so now we have more space outside where we can uh, fellowship after services. I mean, so many blessings with this project, and ultimately what it is, is it's a place for us to call home, to invite people to be good, as we're being good hosts, to invite people to come hear the gospel and get connected into community. And uh, so we just pray that we'd be good stewards of everything God's given us. I want you to pray about how you can be involved in the next steps here at Compass Bible Church. All right, church, I'm praying for your life groups this week. I look forward to hearing how your discussions go. And again, I look forward to seeing you next week.